Have you ever had a strong sense of where God wanted you to be in life, but things didn't seem to be falling into place? Maybe had a deep desire? Uh, you were certain that it's a godly desire. You, you can't imagine why God wouldn't want this thing for you, but nothing seems to be happening. Could be a certain kind of career that you're hoping to embark on, or, or just to find employment full stop. You want to be working, or you want to be working a few more hours. Uh, it could be to do with marriage, or children, or relationships. It could be that you want to be free from crippling debt. It could be that you've been falsely accused by a work colleague and the stigma is hanging over you like a cloud. You just want to be vindicated. Or it could be a million other scenarios. In short, you're waiting for something to change and it's not changing. You're waiting for God to move you into this next phase of your life, but nothing seems to be happening. Or worse still, you feel like you're moving further away from this change of circumstances that you're desperately hoping for. And in these kind of situations, we can start to have doubts. It becomes harder to trust God. We may even question God. Does God care? Is God able to do anything? Why doesn't God do anything? Uh, We can find ourselves getting very frustrated And we wonder if there's anything that we can do to move things along. In many ways, David found himself in a very similar situation. He had known for a long time that he was the future king of Israel. Uh, He'd been anointed by the prophet Samuel when he was still a child. And yet here he was at the age of about 30, hiding in a cave from King Saul, who was determined to kill him. David was waiting for God to move him into this next phase of his life, and God seemed to be dragging his feet. And David's situation is precarious, to say the least. From a purely human point of view, it looks doubtful that David will ever ascend the throne. Now, of course, there are huge differences between David's situation and those times when we're waiting for God to do something in our own lives. For a start, in David's case, the outcome was guaranteed. Samuel had anointed David. God had given him the victory over Goliath and various other uh, military victories. Uh, he, he was growing in popularity. Uh, Saul's own son, Jonathan, who was next in line for the throne, was fully supportive of David. In fact, Jonathan had uh, even said to David, you will be king. When we read this story, we know what God is going to do in David's life. That's not to say that David never had doubts, but we, the readers, uh, see what's happening. It's a foregone conclusion. For us, there are no guarantees that God will give us the desires of our hearts, even when they're godly desires. And if we don't get what we're hoping for, it doesn't mean that God is punishing us. It doesn't mean that we've done anything wrong any more than anyone else. It doesn't mean that God loves us any less. I think it's important to say this from the outset, because I don't want to give the impression that there's some kind of formula for bringing about the changes that we're hoping to see. However, if our desires are wholesome and we believe it's what good God would want for us, then we should pursue it and we should continue to pursue it until God either closes a door or reveals to us that we're going after the wrong thing. But very often, it's not that the door has closed, it's just a question of timing. And if we're going to pursue the thing that we think God has for us, then there are some key things that we can learn from David, and this is what we're going to be looking at today. David knew where God was taking him, 
But it would have been very tempting for David to think, Lord, what are you doing? You anointed me as a child. You gave me all those victories. But now Saul is trying to kill me. We've been playing this game of cat and mouse for years, and now I'm hiding in a cave. What is going on? Uh, David had to wait years, at least least 15 years and maybe more, uh, to see God's plan come to fruition in his life. And there are four things that we can learn from David, two things that we ought to resist and two things that we want to uh, emulate or copy. And they all begin with R. And the first two things, uh, the first one of them is rush. Don't rush God. David was anointed as a child because God could see his heart. God could see that David had tremendous potential to be a great king. But in spite of all this great potential, David needed a lot of refining. And all those situations and circumstances that God brought David through served to prepare him for the kingship. David was deeply flawed, but he was still the greatest king that Israel ever had. And that's largely because his training, his preparation was so extreme. Uh, Members of the British royal family, especially those who are in line for the throne, go through a lot of preparation. They have nannies, uh, they have personal uh, private tutors, they go to prestigious schools like Ludgrove and Eton. Uh, And and all that serves to mould them to be potential future monarchs. Uh, But that's nothing compared to the preparation that David received. David had to flee his first uh, wife or had to leave his first wife, Michal, and flee for his life. Uh, Michal was later married off to another man, presumably against her will. David spent years evading Saul, who was enraged with jealousy and determined to kill him. Uh, David had to work out who he could trust. He had to negotiate with foreign kings. Uh, He had to lead a ragtag army of disgruntled Israelites who had rallied around him. It was a tough time for David. In fact, many of the Psalms were written by David during this period. Uh, And when we read them, we get a sense of his anguish, his desperation, even his despair. But David uh, hadn't, if David hadn't been through all that, he would have been a very different king and not the king that Israel needed at that point in history. So if your situation is far from ideal and you're waiting for God to move you into the next phase of your life, consider that God may be preparing you for something. That doesn't mean that God has inflicted your circumstances on you, but it does mean that God can use those circumstances to prepare you for the next phase. In fact, every Christian is being prepared for something because God has a plan for each one of our lives. Whatever's happening in our lives right now, God does want to use it to prepare us for the future. And so we need to proactively listen out for God's voice in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. If we're going through a tough time, or even if we just feel like we're in a rut and and we're not hearing from God, then it may be because we're not really listening. But the point is, don't rush God. It may well be that God gives us the desires of our hearts. It's not guaranteed, but if it does happen, it'll be in God's timing. And it may well be that a period of preparation is needed first. And whatever the case, God will use our present circumstances 
to prepare us for something, if we're receptive to that, if we're open to that, if we're pursuing God, uh, no matter what's going on in our lives. David must have been tempted to force God's hand. The number of men who had rallied around him had increased, uh, as had his ability to operate in this very difficult terrain. It must have crossed David's mind to go on the offensive. But he never attacked Saul or his men. Nor did he attempt to plot and conspire with Saul's son, Jonathan, who happened to be his best friend. Uh, David rode out the difficult time. He didn't try and end it prematurely. He didn't rush God. And it's the temptation to rush God that often leads us to resort to doing things that are not really in line with God's will for our lives. And that's our next R. Don't resort to ungodly means. And this is where we get to the crux of the story. David and his men were hiding in a cave because they were being pursued by King Saul and 3,000 specially chosen fighters. And Saul goes into the very cave where David and his men are hiding. Uh, he's alone. He takes off his sword and his royal robe. He's about to do his business. And David's men see this as a God-given opportunity to kill Saul. They say, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And it does look like a very easy solution to David's predicament. Uh, David has the opportunity and in his men's eyes, the justification to kill Saul and take the throne. So David sneaks forward, knife in hand. Did he initially intend to kill Saul? Uh, We don't know, but if he did, he certainly changed his mind. Killing Saul would have been a game changer, but David knew that it's not what God would have wanted him to do. So instead of murdering Saul, David cuts off a corner of his royal robe. And he feels guilty enough about that. And, And maybe his guilt is accentuated by his initial intentions, whatever they were. Uh, Reading from verse 5, it says, Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. You know, when God's not moving quickly enough for our liking, it's very tempting to take matters into our own hands. People will often divert from what God would want for them in order to change their circumstances. So, for example, someone might be struggling to find work and they're offered some dodgy cash-in-hand work that isn't strictly legal. What should they do? Uh, Well, I spoke to someone recently who uh, said that they could easily get that kind of work, but they won't take it because they know that they ought to be paying their taxes. Uh, That sounds like that person wants to do things God's way, the right way. There are situations where people get themselves into uh, debt or they're struggling to make ends meet and they resort to gambling or prostitution. That might not apply to anyone here, but it does happen. Uh, Often when Christians are looking for someone to spend their life with, uh, if it doesn't happen quickly enough, then they're willing to compromise on that all-important aspect of spiritual compatibility. Does this person share my faith? Are they a Christian? Uh, Do we have the same beliefs? Not waiting on God can mean that we end up making uh, very poor choices. When we were in London, uh, we knew a couple. They they weren't Christians, uh, but they were struggling to have children, and they were actually looking for someone to sleep with the wife and impregnate her. 
And they spoke to me about this, and fortunately, in the end, they're able to see just how damaging that would have been for everyone concerned, and they, uh, they stopped thinking about that as a solution. Uh, but these are all solutions where people may feel that God is not moving quickly enough, and so they try and get things done another way. David could have done that. He could have run out of patience, killed Saul, and seized the throne. That opportunity was right there before him, but he didn't take it because he recognized that it had to be done God's way or not at all. David resisted the temptation to rush God. David resisted the temptation to resort to ungodly means. And like David, we must use the methods of God to achieve the purposes of God. So those are the two things that we need to uh, resist, rush, resort. But there are also two things that we uh, should emulate or copy. And the first is to recognize, to recognize what God is actually doing. David's men didn't see what God was up to, but David did, at least in part. David recognized that it was God's providence that brought Saul into the cave, not so they could murder him, but so that David could show his integrity and his strength of character and to at least give some chance of there being reconciliation. You see, God will never ask us to do the wrong thing. God will never ask us to do the wrong thing. If we see a quick, easy way to change our situation, but it means compromising on the life that we've been called to as Christians, then that is not the route that God would have us take. For example, imagine uh, you're struggling financially and you're getting red letters, bills that you can't afford to pay, uh, and those bills add up to $2,000. And you're walking along the road and you find a wallet and there's no one else around. You open the wallet and inside are all the kind of things that you'd expect to find in a wallet, bank cards, uh, store cards, driving license, and cash. But actually, there's quite a lot of cash. There's $2,000 in cash. What would we say? Thank you, Lord, for giving me this money. I've got $2,000 worth of bills. I can't pay them, but you've provided uh, the money. Is that what we'd say? Is that what God would want us to do with the money? Of course not. God would want us to make sure that the wallet and the money got back to its rightful owner. That would be the only honest thing to do. So in that case, God would be giving us an opportunity not to pay our debts, but to show our integrity. In fact, God may even be giving us an opportunity to share our faith. Imagine you turned up uh, with the wallet to the, to the owner, and you said, look, I found this wallet, and I also want you to have this Bible as a gift. It's not hard to see how God could use that kind of situation. So when an opportunity comes our way, we need to recognize what God is actually doing and what kind of opportunity is being offered. God doesn't change our circumstances by providing us with the opportunity to do wrong. Uh, David recognized that even when his men didn't. But there's one more thing that we see in David that we should want to emulate, and that is his desire for reconciliation. David had the chance to kill Saul, but he recognized it as an opportunity to be reconciled with Saul. When he'd cut off that corner of his royal robe, and Saul had gone out of the cave, gone back to his men, David left the cave and called out to Saul, a very risky thing to do. He prostrated himself on the ground to show that he was in full submission uh, to Saul, and he said, look, 
Look, I've cut the corner off your robe. I could have killed you. And some of my men urged me to kill you, but that's not what I'm about. I wouldn't do that. David is basically saying to Saul, I'm no threat to you. I just want to serve you. And Saul is moved by this. You might, might even say he's repentant. For a moment, Saul is able to see his own unreasonableness. He's able to admit that he was in the wrong. He even declares David as the future king. He says, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. And we can really see the conflict, can't we, going on within Saul. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now, Saul's change of heart didn't last very long, but that doesn't change the fact that David did everything he could to bring about reconciliation. And it could be that there's a relational aspect to the change that we're hoping to see in our own life, in which case we can learn a lot from this. Uh, I'm sure that revenge, in one way, shape, or form, has crossed all our minds at some point. When I was about nine or ten, I was cycling home from the shop with a Mars bar for my mum. I I just wanted to show her that I appreciated her. Uh, Actually, looking back at a Mars bar, was the last bit of confectionery that my mum would choose, but that's uh, what I got her. And I was cycling home, I was on my BMX on the pavement, and I was stopped by an older, uh, bigger boy called Vincent Warman, and he stopped me and he held the handlebars like that, and he saw the Mars bar, and he said, what have you got there? And he took it and he crushed it to bits. And I had to give my mum this crushed up Mars bar. I found it really upsetting. About 15 years later, I was visiting a friend. And we went to the local pub. And who was there? It was Vincent Warman. And of course, we were both grown men by then. I was serving in the Royal Marines. I think I'd just got back from Afghanistan. You'd think I'd have more important things on my mind. But when I saw him, the first thing I thought of was that crushed Mars bar. And in my mind, I was going... trying to work out whether I should go and deck him. Now, I wasn't a Christian at the time, and I didn't go and deck him. But if I could be thinking about taking violent revenge for something as trivial as a crushed Mars bar, how tempting must it have been for David to take revenge on King Saul after all those years of persecution? But David is not thinking of revenge. He's thinking of reconciliation. He wants his relationship uh, with Saul to be put right. You know, our enemies are very often only our enemies because they think we're their enemies. If someone thinks that we hate them and we're out to get them, then often that will uh, dictate the way that they behave towards us, and someone's got to break the deadlock. Martin Luther King Jr., who himself experienced hatred and racism, of course he was assassinated in the end, he said this, Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. David didn't seek to repay violence with violence, wrong for wrong, and it softened Saul's heart, if only for a moment. And there are so many situations in the world and in everyday life where things simply cannot move forwards as long as one or both parties are resentful, unforgiving, or vengeful. As it says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. So David was stuck in a cave, fearing for his life. And we know from the Psalms that this was a time of great distress for David. But he didn't try to hurry God along. He didn't try to rush God, nor did he resort to ungodly means to try and change his situation. Instead, he resolved to do things God's way. He recognized the nature of the opportunity that God had given him, and he committed himself to reconciliation. In recent weeks, uh, you'll have heard me talking about the way that David is almost like a forerunner of Jesus. David points us forwards to Jesus. Jesus is a king in the line of David. Uh, Jesus is the perfect king, the messianic king. Jesus is the better than David figure. Jesus knew he had come to establish God's kingdom, but he didn't rush God. Even Jesus needed a time of preparation, the first 30 years of his life, not to mention 40 40 days uh, being tempted or tested in the wilderness. And it's worth noting that Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30, which is the age that David was when he became king. We were looking at all those parallels the other week, weren't we? There's another one. And Jesus was determined to do things God's way or not at all. Again, in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted to be the kind of Messiah that everyone expected. Jesus was tempted to subdue the world by force, but Jesus would not resort to that because he knew that's not what God wanted. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples started to put up a bit of a fight, didn't they? When the mob came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulled out a sword and lopped off someone's ear. And Jesus said, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus would not resort to the world's methods to achieve his father's aims. And actually, it's impossible to do that. We cannot use the world's methods to achieve God's aims and to see God's plan uh, fulfilled and accomplished in our lives. And of course, being in very nature God, Jesus recognized what God was doing, and he participated in it wholeheartedly. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is all about bringing human beings back into right relationship with God. It's all about reconciliation. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate act of reconciliation. Just as David gave Saul the opportunity to be reconciled, so Jesus gives each one of us the opportunity to be reconciled with God forever. So what we see in David in a flawed human way, we see in Jesus perfectly. An attitude and conduct that said it's got to be God's way or not at all. And that is what we should be aiming for in our Christian lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, very often we've got an idea of where we want to get to in life. Uh, Very often that may be perfectly in line with your will. Uh, But we're all too ready to employ methods to take actions that we know would not be in line with your will. And so we pray that you'll deepen our sense of trust, that we'll be acutely aware that you have a plan and a purpose for our life, 
We pray that even in the midst of the most difficult times, we will recognize that you are preparing us for something, that you can use those times uh, to, to help us to grow in the Christian life. And we pray, Father, that uh, we will bend, bend our knee and submit to you and recognize that you know best. And so we pray, Father, that your will be done in our lives. And we pray, Father, that we will cooperate with you and your spirit completely, no matter what's going on, whether we can see the direction that things are going to uh, go or not. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.